Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Hosea, the 11th chapter. Hosea chapter 11. And we got down through verse 4, but let me just, for the sake of those who were not here, give you a six-fold expression of divine love in those four verses. And you can mark these verses if you'd like. And we'll read verse 1. It says, When Israel was a child, then I loved him. And it all stemmed from God's love. And this is this chapter has to do with the mercy of a merciful God and the love of a loving God. And so it says, When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called. Mark the word called. Called my son out of Egypt. And we dealt with the meaning of that. But then in verse 3 it says, I taught. Taught is the second word. Mark that number 2. I taught Ephraim also to go, taking them by their arms. But they knew that, and taught was the second word, and then healed is the third one in the same verse. It says, but they knew not that I healed them. That's three. Now, verse four says, I drew them with the cords of a man, with bands of love. That's number four. Number five, and I was to them as that take off the yoke on their jaws. That's number five. Take off the yoke on their jaws, relieving the uh, pain and sweat and uh, maybe the irritation of the uh, oxen or the horse, whichever, that was being yoked to pull. And I illustrate it in another way. And it says, And I laid meat unto them, that is, he fed them. That's number six. So you have four th- uh, six things. Called in verse one, taught in verse three, uh, healed in verse three, drew in verse four, and, uh, and take off the yoke of their jaws, is also verse four, and I laid meat unto them, is verse four. So you have six things that show God's patience and love and His mercy. Now that's where we got to in our last lesson. So I want you to pick up with verse 5. And through the prophet Hosea, uh, the Lord is saying, He shall not return into the land of Egypt. Israel would not return into the land of Egypt. But Assyria shall be his king because they refuse to return or refuse to return. So we find uh, in this verse, God says they're not going to return to the land of Egypt. That would be, you know, many times they tried to call Egypt for their help. And uh, remember, we gave you a reference time and again where it says, Go not that woe unto those that go down to Egypt for help. There was a warning against those that would trust in Egypt. Egypt for Israel was a picture of the world. But it says, But the Assyrians shall be his king. They were going to go another place. And they would be in the Assyrian uh, captivity. Now look at the last part of verse 5. Because they refuse to return. That means they refuse to return to me or to God. Is what he's saying. So they're going to have to suffer the consequences of their refusal to return to God. Those first four verses show us God's concern about the nation and about in their uh, youth, in their infancy. And how also he uh, did so many things for them, and those symbols that I gave you, sixfold expression of his love. But verse five tells us because they refused to return, so they had gone away from God, and we've been studying in our last chapters, several chapters, where they had set up high places, where they had set up the idolatrous worship, the golden calves where they had corrupted the things of God in the last two verses, well, two verses of the previous chapter. If you glance back to verse 12 and 13 in chapter 10 there, just glance back at it. He tells them to sow 
righteousness and reap mercy and break up their fallow ground, bring true repentance, for it is time to seek the Lord till He come and rain righteousness upon you. And verse 13 says, Ye have plowed wickedness, ye have reaped iniquity. Ye have eaten the fruit of lies, because thou didst trust in thy way in the multitude of thy mighty men. And he goes on to tell about how that they had uh, been idolatrous worshippers. Now then, look at verse 5 again. He shall not return into the land of Egypt, but the Assyrian shall be his king, because they refuse to return. Now verse 6 continues to tell what will happen to them. And the sword shall abide on his cities, and shall consume his branches and devour them, because of their own counsels. Their own counsels. Sometimes when the counsel is wicked, you have to suffer the consequences of that wicked counsel. And theirs was. In fact, if you glance back at the 10th chapter, verse 6, it tells us the very thing that we're talking about here. It shall, you have 10 verse 6, it shall be also carried into Assyria, and that is the calf that they worshipped, for a present to King Jerob, Ephraim shall receive shame, and Israel shall be ashamed of his own counsel. Tells us there that their counsel is what brought about their departure and about the consequences of their sins. So look at 11 verse 6 again. It says, And the sword shall abide on his cities, and shall consume his branches, and devour them, because of their own counsel, or own counsels. In verse 7 he continues and says, And my people are bent to backsliding from me. Bent to, or have a tendency to go in that direction. Have an inclination to go away from God. You might say, well, Israel is a... An example of really a wicked people and a people that go away from God. But what about God's people today? My people are bent to backsliding from me. You know, we sing a song now written by a wonderful preacher, days gone by. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. And one of the verses says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And then he says, here's my heart, O take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Because that preacher realized, his name was Robinson, I believe, but he realized that man's heart is prone to wander from God. Israel was prone to leave God. And it says in verse 7, my people are bent to backsliding from me. And every one of us ought to realize that there's within us a tendency to go away from God. And so we need God's grace and we need, we need uh, God's assurance and we need God's help to keep us day by day on the right track and the right path. It's easy to get on the wrong path. And once you get on the wrong trail, you're lost. You don't know where you're going and what you're going to do. I can tell you stories about being lost. Some of you have heard me tell one, I think, one time. But anyway, I won't have time for that. Besides those of you that have heard it, I don't want to bore you with it again. Sometimes I tell things too much. It says, And my people are bent to backsliding from me, though they called them to the Most High, none at all would exalt Him. And then in verse 4, I want you to notice a fourfold how. The word how of God's love. In verse 4, I mean verse 8, in the fourfold how. We had six things that I gave you in verses 1 through 4, didn't we? Okay, now we've got four things in this one verse. And it shows God's love for His people. And He says, the first thing He says, How shall I give thee up, Ephraim? Notice that question. 
How? How could God, who so loved them and had redeemed them, had saved them by blood and by power, and had led them into the promised land, had uh, borne them on eagles' wings, had put up with their uh, backslidings for time and time again, and yet God's patience and love was so that He said, How shall I give thee up, Ephraim? And by the way, as I told you before, Ephraim addresses Israel, the, the ten tribes, as well as Judah, the two tribes. I mean, Ephraim doesn't address Judah, but the, it addresses the ten tribes, but the other two of the twelve tribes were Judah and uh, the tribe that went with Judah. It says in verse 8, How shall I deliver thee, Israel? Notice he says Ephraim, then Israel. So he's still talking about the same uh, nation and people. How shall I deliver thee? Then he says, How shall I make thee as Adma? How shall I set thee as Zeboam? You know what he's saying is Adma and Zeboam? Two of the cities of the plain that were destroyed in the time of uh, God's judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah. If you turn to Deuteronomy 29, I believe it is verse 23. Let's see. Deuteronomy 29 and verse 23. And that the whole land thereof is brimstone and salt and burning, that it is not sown nor bareth, nor any grass groweth therein, like the overflow of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeoboam. That's Deuteronomy 29, verse 23. And he connects Adma and Zeoboam, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and in his wrath. So when back when it tells us in the book of Genesis, he destroyed the cities of the plain, there was more than just uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. It says the Lord rained upon Sodom fire and brimstone out of heaven, but the whole area. And notice what it says here in Deuteronomy 29, verse 23, and that the whole land thereof is brimstone. Think of the after conditions and salt and burning, that it is not sown nor beareth nor any grass groweth therein, like the overthrow of Sodom. He compares the land in that particular day. Talk about the first atomic bomb and the effects it had upon land and people. I think God dropped the first one. And He destroyed the cities of the plain, and He destroyed those wicked people, and also He destroyed the land, because He was telling you what the land is like. Couldn't plant it, couldn't sow it. It's like brimstone and salt. Now back in Hosea chapter 11, so when the Lord says in verse 8, How shall I give thee up, Ephraim? This is a compassionate plea of, of how it hurt him to to be thinking about giving them up. And then he says, How shall I deliver thee, Israel? How And how shall I make thee as Adma? How shall I set thee as Zeboam? And he used those other cities that are mentioned in Deuteronomy 29, verse 23. And by the way, they're mentioned also in Genesis 19, verse 24 and 25. It's the whole area is mentioned, at least. Uh, he says, Mine heart is turned. Look here in verse 8. Mine heart is turned within me. My repenting, repentings are kindled together. Now, this chapter of God's love and mercy finally ends with their future restoration and blessings. But he says, how shall I give thee up? And God has never given them up. And God has had a covenant relationship throughout all the years. And someday, in their repentance, in the great tribulation, they will be restored. In fact, Paul speaks of it in the book of Romans. And that there will be a future day in the great tribulation period when they will be turned back to God. 
in that particular at that particular time. And some of these things we find in Hosea later on here, as we continue studying, will indicate when that will be. It will be during the uh, time of Christ's return and the things that relate to uh, the second coming of Christ. All right. <clears throat> He says in verse 9, I will not execute the fierceness of mine anger. God says, I'm, I'm not going to bring the fierceness of my anger, as He did back in Sodom and Gomorrah's day. I will not return to destroy Ephraim. Now look, for I am God and not man. What does He mean there? He means that He is God and not man, and He had a, relation, he had a covenant relationship with them, and He wasn't going to go back on His word. Remember, we preached Sunday, I believe, was from the book of Malachi, in where it says, "I am the Lord, uh, I am the Lord." Let me read it for you. And he says, "Therefore, you sons of, I'm the Lord; I change not." And he says, "Therefore, you sons of Jacob, are not consumed." Look in Malachi three verse six. It says, "For I am the Lord; I change not." Now, the very fact that God is immutable and changeless and will not change, therefore, look, therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. And so this relates to the same thing, that he would not go back upon his covenant. Even from the days of your fathers, you're gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me and I will return unto you. And of course, if you want to go on down, you'll find wherein they had gone away from his ordinance of giving and supporting the uh, with their tithes and offerings, and there's your message on tithing too. We didn't preach it that way Sunday. We only preached about the fact that God is un, unchangeable. That I'm the Lord, I change not. But back in Hosea again, quickly, if you will, Hosea chapter 11, he says in verse 9, I will not execute the fierceness of mine anger. Hosea 11 verse 9, I will not return to destroy Ephraim. Why? For I am God and not man. Now, man doesn't keep his covenant, does he? Man doesn't keep his word, but God keeps his word. I am, uh, and not man, then he says, the Holy One in the midst of thee, and I will not enter into the city. That is, to destroy it. Think of God's mercy and long-suffering. And you know, a lot of times people will say, well, preacher, what does that have to do with us today? Well, let me just give you something. And I've said it before, and you probably nothing new. If you've been taught your Bible, it's the old, old story that we tell all the time anyway. The Word of God never changes, and we keep on preaching it, and we just uh, remind you of what God is and what God does. But to remind you of what it it does mean to you and I, let me just uh, point this out. That if God is so determined to keep His covenant relationship with His people of old, how much more do you think that covenant that of the New Testament of His blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins, will He keep His covenant through, uh, with us through Jesus Christ our Lord? He's, gu- he's guaranteeing us the same thing, only in a, in a really a more emphatic way than ever it has been, because this covenant is sealed with the blood of His only begotten Son. So that's what difference it makes. And if we could understand that, we'd have more faith and confidence and assurance in it. Because we're redeemed by the, uh, blood and by power as well. And, and we're in the, under the new covenant that's uh, based upon Christ's shed blood. So I think it's worth our thought to realize how important it is that 
God is a covenant-keeping God, excuse me, <coughs> would it be with the nation of Israel or with you and I? <coughs> now then, let's notice verse... Uh, let me read that verse again. I will, I will not execute the fierceness of mine anger. I will not return to destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not man, the Holy One in the midst of thee, and I will not enter into the city. I want you to think again. I will not execute the fierceness of mine anger. The Bible tells us that God... Look at Psalm 103, and I'll, I'll give you this. I believe that it would be worth your turning. Psalm 103, I could quote it to you, but I'd rather you'd look at it. Psalm 103. Let's begin with uh, verse 8. Look at the same thought we're dealing with. It says in verse 8, The Lord is merciful and gracious. We've been talking about that. Slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. Look, He will not always chide, neither will He keep His anger forever. No grudges. He bears no grudges. He hath not... Look, this is the verse I wanted to show you. He hath not dealt with us after our sins. See? Nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. Then it says, look, here. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear fear Him. Look at verse 14. For He knoweth our frame, He remembereth that we are dust. He remembers. He has pity like a father because He remembers our frailty and our weakness. Now back in our text, Hosea 11. Look at that verse again. I will not execute, verse 9, I will not execute the fierceness of mine anger. And for the same reason that we pointed out in the 103rd Psalm. For the same reason. Look at verse 10 now. 11 verse 10. They shall walk after the Lord. He shall roar like a lion. When he shall roar, then the children shall tremble from the west. By the way, it's not only that they did tremble in times past, but it's talking about a future time. And we'll find that there are promise of His future. It says, They shall walk after the Lord. There's a time that they'll hear the voice of the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Remember over in the book of Revelation? Not only Israel, but all uh, people will hear His voice. He shall roar like a lion with majesty and with power. You read in the book of Revelation, it says, And I beheld, and lo, there was one that was like a lamb, the lion of the tribe of Judah in the midst. And so he's a lamb, but he's a lion. And both these figures uh, present Christ to us. Look over in Revelation, if you will. Let me read it for you. Chapter 4. I mean 5. Chapter 5. You know, John could find no one worthy to open the book of the seals. And let's just drop down quickly. In verse 3, And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither look thereon. And I wept much, John says, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. <clears throat> and one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Now look at verse 6. The lion is a lamb. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth to all the earth. And it would take a long time to expound the whole verse. 
But you can see, horns speak of power, eyes speak of a knowledge that God foresees and knows, not only the past but the future. And the seven spirits of God are upon Him. You find that in Isaiah chapter 11. If you look back there, I'll pour out upon Him the spirit of uh, all these various ones. Isaiah 11. Let me, let me get that quick. I didn't mean to get sidetracked that much, but I'll get it. Isaiah 11. Look at verse 1. And two, it says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Remember, he is the seed of David. David is the son of Jesse. A branch shall grow out of his roots, and this branch is Christ. Isaiah 11, verse 1. And look, here's the sevenfoldness of the Spirit. And the Spirit of the Lord there's a, shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom, that's two. And understanding, three. Spirit of counsel, four. And might, verse five. Uh, is five. The spirit of knowledge, six. And the fear of the Lord. Fear is seven. The sevenfoldedness of the Holy Spirit shall rest upon him. Back in Hosea 11. Hosea 11. Notice what it says. They shall walk after the Lord. He shall roar like a lion. When he shall roar, then the children shall tremble from the west. They shall tremble as a bird out of Egypt, and as a dove out of the land of Assyria, and I will place them in their houses, saith the Lord. God is going to restore them to their places. Another promise of their restoration is a bird flights from out of Egypt, and as a dove out of the land of Assyria. It says in verse 12, Ephraim compasseth me about with lies, and the house of Israel with deceit. For Judah yet ruleth with God and is faithful with his with the saints. Chapter 12, verse 1. Ephraim feedeth on the wind. Look at this. And followeth after the east wind. Feedeth on the wind. Just going here and there. You remember Paul speaks of, uh, as Christians, to not be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Carried about with every wind of doctrine. That's Ephesians 4, I believe, verse 14, if you want to look at it. Maybe, I'm pretty sure that's right. And he says, Be not henceforth children carried to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, where they uh, lie in wait to deceive. Ephesians 4, verse 14. Okay. Ephraim feedeth on the wind and falleth after the east wind. The east wind was scorching, the east wind was unpleasant. The east wind would burn them. He daily increaseth lies and desolation. Not just has lies and desolation once in a while, but daily increaseth lies. Back in Ephesians 12, verse 1 now. You have Ephesians 12, verse 1? Always hold your place where we're studying. I didn't take you back, did I? I thought you'd go back when I started back. Always hold your place where we're studying. Ephraim feedeth on the wind... And followeth after the east wind. Now then, verse 12 says, He daily increases lies and desolation. Did I give you the right reference a while ago? Okay. And, and uh, they do make a covenant. Look, with the Assyrians. And oil is carried into Egypt. By the way, this was olive oil in those days as a present. Probably a bribe. Hosea 12, verse 1. Are we still there? Okay. Okay, notice. And they do make a covenant with the Assyrians, and all is carried into Egypt. And this is carried as a present because it was uh, probably pertaining to olive oil in those days. 
Now oil is used in a lot of different ways. And there's different kinds of oil that men are after now. But in those days that was precious and a wonderful present. Now then, in verse 2, it says, The Lord hath also a controversy with Judah. Remember when we said earlier he had a controversy with Ephraim, a controversy with Israel. That means that he was bringing them into court. And now he's got the same thing with Judah. They were a little slower about uh, departing. And they stayed true a little bit longer. And look, And will punish Jacob according to his ways, according to his doings, will he recompense him. So God says that they're going to reap what they've sown. And he's going to punish them accordingly. Let it be according to the judgment of God. And everything is, by the way, whether we like it or not. In our lives and in the lives of people around the world. In one of these days, everyone is going to have to meet their own uh, fate for what they, they have done. Meet their own uh, rewards or judgments one way or the other. Verse 3 says, and he's speaking of Jacob. Notice, Jacob in verse 2, and it says in verse 3, He took his brother by the heel in the womb, and by his strength he had power with God. Two things are mentioned here. Even in birth, he was the one who was trying to get the preeminence. He took his brother by the heel in the womb. Remember Jacob and Esau? And Jacob was a supplanter. Jacob was a conniver. And yet God met him. And by strength, he had power with God. So when God met him back there at Bethel, what happened? He wrestled with the Lord, Peninnah, Bethel. By his strength, he had power with God. He wrestled with the angel till the morning. He wouldn't let him go. And what was the deal? God gave him a new name. He said, I'm going to call you Israel, for as a prince you have power with God. But he shows here in verse 3, Jacob, he took his brother by the heel in the womb, and by his strength he had power with God. And we find a lot of things that happened that showed this very character of Jacob. Remember how uh, the deception took place? Jacob and Esau, and how he went out and he prepared what? Venison for Isaac, his father who was blind. He was blind at this time. All he could do is smell and hear and feel. And Esau had gone out to to hunt the the, uh, deer meat that uh, Isaac was so fond of. So Jacob connived around and they prepared, he and his mother decided to prepare what? Goat meat. Now, I believe I could tell the difference. But anyway, it was prepared a barbecue like he wanted, savory meat, and brought into him. And they put hair on his arms, remember, and around, the, around his neck, because uh, Esau was a hairy man. And so he comes in there and, and he speaks to Isaac. And what does he say? I've brought that savory meat that you so dearly love. And you know what? Well, Isaac said, what did he say? And he felt, he says, come near, my son, let me feel. And he felt of his hands, hairy. He smelled the clothes that he'd put on, which was Esau's. And what else? Felt around his neck and everywhere. He felt over. And he said, he said, the hands are the hands of Esau, but the voice is the voice of Jacob. I have a sermon on you can't trust the feeling. You better go by the voice, hadn't you? You can't trust the feeling. And he says the smell. All of his senses told him it was Esau. 
Remember he smelled, he says, yeah, the smell is the smell of the, of the field where you've gone out to hunt the deer. And he says, uh, in the hands, I can feel that. And everything about it told him that it was, uh, that it was Esau. But old Isaac was deceived because he didn't listen to the voice. Because when old Jake, when he, when he spoke, he recognized his voice. And he says the voice, he didn't say the voice sounds like Jacob's voice. He says the voice is Jacob's voice. Is. But the hands are the hands of Esau. Let me give you a message there. You better listen to God's Word directly and listen to the voice instead of trust every other sense that you might have. Every other kind of thing that may come across your mind may tell you it's otherwise, but when God's Word says something is so, you better listen to the voice. You better listen to God. And Isaac knew better. And see, he was blind. He couldn't see. So that was out. His sight was gone. So he had to trust in something. And what did he trust in? Trusted in his feelings. Trusted in the smell of that venison. He even tasted. You know, he tasted that venison. And he thought it was tasted like deer meat. Because uh, Jacob and his mother had so prepared it that, that it deceived him. Even his taste deceived him. His taste deceived him. His sight he didn't have. His feeling deceived him. But the voice didn't deceive him had he listened to it. He said the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. But they weren't. It was that fur and hair they'd put on his wrists. He'd put on his wrists. All right, let's get back to this. Hosea chapter 12. Look at this in verse... Uh, four, three. He took his brother by the heel in the womb, and by the way, he deceived his brother again later on, didn't he? And uh, he got his birthright for a mess of pottage. And by his strength, he had power with God. That was later on, much later on. Yea, he had power over the angel and prevailed. He wept and made supplication unto him. He found him in Bethel, and there he spake with us. In the very place where God found him, he had set up his idols. Remember, we've been studying about Bethel. They put one of the calves in Bethel, another one in Dan. In the very place where Jacob had met God, and he was so dear to him, he set up his idol, idol worship, calf worship. And verse 5 says, Even the Lord God of hosts, the Lord of his memorial, he spake with him. Verse 6, Therefore turn thou to thy God, a plea again. Keep mercy and judgment and wait on thy God continually. This is a remembrance of the past. Verses 3 through 6. Now, verse 7 tells us what Israel, and verse 7 through 14, what Israel had become. Notice, he is a merchant. The balances of deceit are in his hand. He loveth to oppress. A merchant, actually the word is Canaan, or merchant. They were Canaan. They were merchant people. And it says, the balances of deceit are in his hand. He loveth to oppress. That's been typical of the Jewish people throughout the ages. Balances. Look. Balances of deceit. One balance that weighs heavy in one light. One that, see, no true balance. The false balances. And they were balances of deceit. They'd have some weights. Have you ever seen the old movies where they'd have the old weights, you know, you put on the scale... And they'd have some fake weights, and boy, if you if they were gonna if they were gonna 
buy something, they put the real lightweights in there, buy them from the people. Oh, it doesn't weigh very much. You've only got so many dollars coming. If they were going to sell it, they'd get the heavyweights and put it in there. Oh, it weighs a ton, right? They've been like that through the ages. The kind of merchants they were and are. We used to talk about it. I won't use the expression, but most of you know it anyway. In verse uh, 8, it says, And Ephraim said, Yet I am become rich. I have found me out substance in all my labors. They shall find none iniquity in me that were sin. They go on, they're so tied up, believing they can be justified by false weights and balances that they don't see any harm in it, as long as they get gain. Did you know there's people like that today? You don't have to be of their character or have the scales that, that they have. But there are people like today that do not see any harm in ripping someone else off, trying to take advantage of the poor, the needy, the misguided, those with lack of understanding. You go in to buy something and the guy tells you when you walk through the door, that's $90 and the time you get through it's 150 you know, well, I didn't tell you that, you know, that you have to pay for this and that and the other. After service is over, I'll read something for you after I get through with this in just a minute. So, the balances of deceit. Ephraim said, Yet I am become rich. I have found me out substance in all my labors. They shall find none iniquity in me that were sin. When a man thinks he doesn't have any problems and sins, uh, you can rest assured that he probably does. We'll let that suffice for our lesson tonight. And we'll stop there with verse 8 and pick up at 12 verse 9 in our next lesson.